0: Which designer had one of the most successful Kickstarter campaigns and then left crowdfunding? Welcome to the Tabletop Shop.
1: ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to the tabletop shop podcast i am one of your co-hosts nate clark and seated across the world for me is your other co-host mr cody pennington what's up what's up cody i'm thinking i'm
0: gonna take that persona from now on it's kind of like a deep gangster. do
1: you think people would still listen i'm just wondering if that's really what you thought that was well, no hey hey what's up i was getting started oh, what, what else what else okay. is that I was getting stoner vibes. Stoner, sure. Yes. Stoners are all stoners are gangsters, right? Cody, I know you well <laughs> enough to say this. There is nobody you could imitate probably worse than a stoner. I'm just <laughs> I okay. I'm just curious. Then who who could I imitate the best?
0: And you can't mm-hmm. just cheat and say me. Or a nerd, probably that's, that's a
1: door to door salesman. Door to door salesman.
0: Yeah. Uh, which designer of one of the most successful Kickstarter campaigns? And laugh, crowdfunding. Can I interest you in this cheese it?
1: <laughs> cheese it, adored Cheese it <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, uh, okay. Segway. Segway. Um, well, I'm sure there's a, a cheese it board game being made by Hasbro at some point in the next few years. So keep your eyes I'm, out for that. I'm going to look up cheese it right now. Oh dear. On board game geek. Cheese it. You're not going to get sunshine anything.
0: cheese it scramble Scrabble Junior. <laughs> oh, no. uh, it's, it's, it's a cheese it themed Scrabble <laughs> Jr. game, Nate
1: <laughs> <laughs> Scrabble junior cheese Cheez-It uh, themed That's a terrible idea The kid the kids are just going to try to eat that game <laughs> That's all that's going to happen They're just going to try to eat it Alright,
0: it only has two votes And they both voted for three, <laughs> three. I'm going to go ahead and rank I'm going to add a rank one to this right now <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to click want to play on it though Want
1: to play, okay, want and yeah, trade want to play uh,
0: Let's see if that refreshed it. Oh, yeah. It shows my one now. It didn't change the average score, though. That's kind of sad. Maybe it knows
1: you're trolling. Okay. Well, Nate, that was a great segue to board games. That was. It was so smooth. Seamless. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. A game I've not played this week, you can probably guess, would be uh, Sunshine. Sun, why is it even Sunshine? Sunshine cheese it Scrabble Jr. Yeah. I not touch that this week. Might be hard to get in well, Germany. I don't know. If you haven't played that, what have you played this week? Or are we jump in the gun. Do you want to like played, say some no, stuff? No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm excited to talk about this because I got a few repeats from last week, but I got a couple new ones again. And one of them, one of them I like a lot, and that is Isle of Sky. This is a, yeah. I believe, another Alexander Pfister game. Um, This is interesting. It's, it's kind of a, it's very carcassonne esque. You have these tiles, you're building a, a city, and they have roads, they have mountains, they have, lakes and pastures whatever you know and some symbols on them um but two people are building their own separate smaller one you're not building one big communal one um and so there's like six rounds and every round you only get probably about two pieces because what you do is you have three tiles and then you have a shield and you secretly price two of those tiles and pick one that you're going to trash mm-hmm. and then at the same time you and the other players reveal And then in turn order, you can buy with your leftover coins. You can buy coins from other players. Um, and then once everybody's had a chance to buy one, then you have to buy your leftover one with the money you set aside for it. And then you add those two tiles you got to your little map. And then there's lots of different ways you can score on the tiles. And there's four, um, there's four and like four overarching scoring, uh, ways to score, um, that change every game but the, it does the same way, it does the same thing that cartographers does where the first round you only score one of them and then the next round you score a different one and then the third round you score a couple of them you know and so it's every round you're scoring a different combination of those four overarching scoring uh things so hmm. i i like it a lot i feel like it's a little too short i wish it was a longer game um but I it's a fun it's a fun little puzzle. Um it's it's decently light, but I love the decision making that goes into pricing your two pieces, trying to get in the other player's head, pricing your pieces, and you know, picking one to get rid of. And sometimes you want both of your pieces and you're like, maybe if I jack up the price on both of them, they won't even buy one, you know. So hmm. it's yeah, it's interesting. It's really, really cool.
0: That's good to hear that you want it to be longer. Usually, I feel like that's even a mark <laughs> right. of some yeah. good games. They're like really big. You're like, ah, it's so good. I just wish it was a a shorter experience. But you're sitting here well, like, no, I want this. I want this longer.
1: And this is also coming from two player only experience. So uh, this is a game that would be longer with with more players, definitely. Um, okay. So, but there is a, about half the game simultaneous. So yeah. So that's one. Highly recommend for sure. Um, uh, another game I had a chance to play this week that is new is Imhotep or Imhotep, Imhotep, I don't know how you say it, something (laughs) Egyptian, Um, this is a Phil Walker Harding game, I was a little disappointed, I'm not going to lie, now I've only played it once, so I need to play it again, it was just a two player game also, but it felt a lot lighter than I was expecting, Um, and honestly I wasn't going off of much, for some reason I just thought it was a heavier game, it's definitely a lot lighter, basically you're you have these five different like monuments you're building kind of um, and you have a different type, you and your opponents have different colored stones. And on your turn, you're putting stones on ships. And then you can also choose to send a ship to a location and the stones are offloaded in a specific order. And then the order that they're onloaded onto whatever monument you went to is very important because all they, they all score differently. And so the specific places where your, t- your uh, stones end up is, is important for scoring. Um, and so it's a fun little back and forth thing of like you, pl- I place a cube, you place a cube. Ah, should I place a cube or should I just send the ship? You know, because maybe you'll send it somewhere I don't want it to go. So it's a fun little back and forth game. Um, I want to play it again. But yeah, it was a little bit lighter than I was expecting. Does this so. qualify as a trading in the Mediterranean game? Mm, no. Okay. It does not. Because there's no Mediterranean Sea involved. So, <laughs> You're still trading. <laughs> you are. And I, Egypt does border the Mediterranean. Does it right? I think so. I think right? so. But there's no Mediterranean in the game. Uh, no, I also we're not, we're not geographers, cartographers, <laughs> no. archaeologists. Uh, speaking of cartographers, played that a couple times again this week. Uh, I every time I play the game, I like it more, dude. I'm just, yeah, that's all I can tell you. Okay. I'm I've already started looking into. There's like six different map packs you can get for it, and another mm-hmm. like couple mini expansions. So I am I'm liking this game a lot for sure.
0: You're, you're piquing my interest, because I think maybe we talked about this last time, it's, but that's a game where I always look at the cover, I'm like, this looks pretty
1: cool, yeah, and then right. I look at the game itself, I'm like, this looks pretty terrible. Honestly, dude, it's so cheap, though. Like, you could probably find, just kind of sit on it and look every once in a while for used copies, and if you can find one for 10 bucks, just jump on it and try it. It's worth it, for sure. Hmm.
0: Okay, all right, okay.
1: I also played Machi Koro and Tiny Towns again this week, but I also had the exclusive opportunity to play a new game that has not been released yet.
0: <gasps> that's a, okay. I'm
1: intrigued. Okay. It's a, it's a two-player, get this, it's a two-player dude little card game. <gasps> All right. It's, it's an up-and-coming designer. Uh, you might know his name. His name's Cody Pennington.
0: Dude, uh, so I know I, that guy.
1: I had the opportunity to play Kung Feud, and that title's still in the works, I think. I hope. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's pretty solid in my mind. Okay, all right. Well, I will let you take over with your games of the week, and if you want to talk more about that, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Okay, I will say when you when you first started talking
0: about playing a game that hasn't been released yet, I actually was excited, and then I immediately realized (laughs) that you were probably talking about Kung Fu. Awesome. Uh, Sure, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll talk. I I did also play Kung Fu this week. It it has been mentioned, I think, in passing before on the podcast as a design concept that I've had in the back of my mind for a long time, and finally started actually producing. It's a little tactical hand management game where each person basically just starts with 10 health and then you just deal out the cards just like a trick-taking game. But the cards are going to be either attack cards or defense cards. And so one person will have what's called the lead where they get to play an attack card and then the other person has to respond. Either they have the option of playing no cards or they can play a defense card to try to block some of the damage. They can try to play a card that reverses the lead so that they can start playing attack cards and then, if you ever run out of cards in your hand, and the other person still has cards, they can just start hitting you until they run out of their cards. And yeah, it's like it's called Kung Feud because you're doing punches and blocks and stuff, parries. And it's a prototype. So <laughs> and it's a prototype, very much so a prototype. Yeah, all all very exciting. However, now that I just spoke it into the etherverse, um, it's automatically copyrighted, so you can't steal it. So there. <laughs> but real games that I played this week, I got some jaws of the lion action up in there again. That, uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Still working through that campaign. Kirsten and I were having a really tough time with one mission a couple times ago that we were playing. Um, it's called the greatest job in the world. And you have to go up and blow up a bunch of stuff and also escape. And you have to blow up all the rooms and you can't be inside a given room when mm. it explodes. Cool. But then there's all these ghosts in the room that are like hitting you and you can't actually damage them at all because they're just immune. So it's it's really annoying. We kept losing. So we gave up and we did a different mission.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Fair. That's my, fair.
0: that's my cool story. Yeah. Played a uh, cave versus cave. Oh, OK. Um, that's that really moved up my my top 100 list. I mm. I really like that game. I haven't played Caverna itself but I have played Agricola, and now I've played Caverna, Cave versus Cave. And how long? I feel like,
1: how long oh, yeah. is it?
0: Um, oh, I'd say probably thirty to forty minutes, maybe a, maybe a little bit longer. It Depends how quick okay. you are. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's kind of a little engine builder where you're drafting, well, not drafting. You're you're getting resources based off of commonly available actions, and if you take an action, the other player can't take it until the end of the round or till the next round. Yeah. Um and then you can use those resources to add I guess rooms to empty spaces that you have excavated in your cave and then you can activate those rooms later to do cool things to either get resources or do a more efficient resource conversion and then at the end of the game whoever has the most points based off of their rooms wins.
1: I'm assuming Quite not I'm assuming not as stressful as Agricola.
0: No, not at all oh, cuz you're not even feeding Your workers. Food is still a resource that is used for a lot of things, but basically it just comes down to if you don't have food, you just can't do the thing. But it's not like you're getting punished and getting negative points. Just a resource, basically. Sure. Yeah. It's pretty great though. I'm it's just a streamlined, to me, Uwe Rosenberg experience. And I say that loosely since I've only played two (laughs) Uwe Rosenberg games now.
1: Yeah, he has a lot of Yeah, he he has a very, very big, large portfolio. Um okay, he has okay. little card games he like patchwork is like a super light polyomino game. He's all over the place. That's mm. the thing about Uwe is like he is all over the place as far as like the weight kind of weight scale goes of his games. So
0: uve Rosenberg is going to come up later in this episode. Remind me about him and I'll mention I will try to do that. So that that's my cool story. Also played Nitovaleer this week. I love that game, man. I'm sorry. Weird dude. It it actually gave me an idea for a board banter we should do at some time. Top five, top three, whatever games we like that everyone else hates.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> because yeah.
0: I know you're not a big fan of this game, and my wife is also not a big fan of this game, but I love this game.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah that fantastic. could be fun. It's fantastic. That could be fun.
0: So this would probably be like towards the top of my list for that board banter. But yeah, little uh dwarf drafting game where you've got three taverns (laughs) with a selection of dwarves and you're drafting those dwarves and then you're going to score points at the end of the game based on your collections of dwarves there's five different colors of i guess uh, types of dwarves i don't know what's the word occupation perhaps and then each of those colors scores differently it's like the the blue dwarves are the easiest they just score their face value points But then the Yellow Dwarves, they score kind of like King Domino, where King Domino scores number of crowns times number of spaces that those crowns occupy. And this one is you score number of points times how many of those ranks of cards you have. Uh, So it's pretty cool. You can kind of diversify your strategies each time. And then you're also trying to convert your, your bidding coins to get more points off of them at the end of the game and make stronger bids. It's an excellent game. And Nate, I don't know why you dislike it so much.
1: Well, maybe we should just have a beer game of the week some some week and we can go back and forth on it.
0: All right. That sounds great.
1: And finally,
0: just played yesterday, Ares Expedition once nice. more.
1: We've talked about that game before. We don't need to. It's yeah, a good we've game. talked about it a lot. You know what? You as the listener have the obligation to go listen to another one of our episodes <laughs> if you want to hear more about Ares Expedition. So uh, yeah, pr- pretty, pretty much pick that episode up and it's probably come up. So.
0: Well, I feel like that's enough about us, even though we're going to keep talking. We should move on, Nate, to the game of the week.
1: Okay, our game of the week is one of my, I don't know about favorite. It's one of the most kind of unique. It's one of the most unique board game covers. Out there, I think, <laughs> uh, and this is Dinosaur Island. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> Cody. I, I, since it's since it's your game, you've played it a lot more, and I feel like I, I always end up handing this off to you, but I'll do it again. Why don't you <laughs> run us quickly through how the game? You functions? always do, and I, and I always
0: hate it because for some reason <laughs> I really struggle with describing how games work on the fly. Well, this I, will be a very
1: a very easy one to describe. There's not there's not a lot of components or you know different stages or anything going sure. on in this game, so. Well, I've got I've got
0: an image of it pulled up here on the geek, so I have a visual to work off of for my my sad little memory. Dinosaur Island is a worker placement game of sorts. It 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 for sure is a worker placement game, but that that by far is not the the only mechanism going no. on here. You actually play through like four different um phases over the course of one round. But you <laughs> this is just a Jurassic Park ripoff in the form of a board game. Uh like blatant blatant Blatantly. ripoff. But yes. But I I love it because a lot of the you can build little shops and whatnot in the game on your little park, and a lot of them are named in reference to Jurassic Park. Huh. Like there's Actually, a, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't? There's one, um, it's like a food place and it's called Clever Grill. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, stuff stuff like that. It's pretty good. Uh, But yeah, each player is competing to basically build their own best Jurassic Park style park. So you're building little exhibits and then collecting DNA with your workers so you can turn the DNA into dinosaurs. However, the more dinosaurs you add to your park, your security, well, no, your threat level increases and you have to also increase your security level to combat the threat level. And at the end of a given round, if you ever have a higher threat level than your security level that number of patrons the difference gets eaten by the dinosaurs and you will not score points for them it's pretty great you do still get their money though because they came into the park and that's i like
1: i like the idea of this being lightly rethemed as just a normal amusement park not a dinosaur amusement park but people still die for some reason in it (laughs)
0: like safety issues (laughs) yeah you don't have enough fire escapes or the roller coasters aren't up to code it'd be great oh man it's too hot somebody can't get water uh, so yeah, it's cool because it's there's multifaceted in its worker placement functions. So you start off, you have three scientists, a level one, two, and three scientist, And the scientists are what you use to acquire dinosaur recipes. Um, you acquire DNA with them. You can increase your cold storage limits so you can have more DNA at the same time. But that's the first phase. And then the second phase is when you actually spe- start spending your workers to do things like turn DNA into dinosaurs, increase your security level, um, do other things. There's there's a variety of worker places that you can add to your board, which is pretty cool. Um, it's all, yeah. well, all of them on your board are private worker spaces. So it's not like someone can take your spot, but you have to manage your own board well and decide which places you want to go on. And
1: yeah, that's the game. I don't know, man, you want to add anything else? We just call it good, move on. <laughs> because it is good would you would you agree that this is a good game it doesn't have to be I, a great game it doesn't have to sure. be you know a forgettable game but i would say it's good i would
0: say this is a pretty good game pretty which good. is a step a step up from good but a step
1: yeah
0: i might even call it great but it'd be a mm. loose great mm.
1: Mm. you know well i think one of the things i like most is what you just were mentioning there at the end which is your own personal player board that the worker placement part of the game is on your own personal player board um and so there's none of this worrying about other people taking your spots or anything like that right um but not only that it's not just that everyone has a player board like that's the same you have a few basic actions which are important but then you can draft other ones and add and create your own board how you want it to be based on what's important to you and what you're able to get drafted you know and then when you do your worker placement portion you can kind of sit there and puzzle it out how you want to do it right um and i think that's great it's just it's just another way of doing worker placement right it's like well you know we don't have to do anything crazy different about worker placement but how about everyone just has their own worker placement section instead of there being one big one you know that everyone's Mm -hmm. working on so I, I That to me is probably the coolest part of the game, Um, even though there's nothing about actually doing it that's super phenomenal. Um, but just the idea that, of that kind of that little twist on worker placement, I like.
0: Yeah. And I would say, even though you're only placing workers on your own board, at least for the second round, you you are competing with a scientist in the first round for who gets the DNA, who gets the dino recipes. Oh, but that's there is true. still yeah. further yeah. further player competition in phase two. I think it is phase two or three when you're, you're, each person can just make a purchase, um, up to two yeah. purchases for the round for these buildings and specialists that will add different effects or they'll add places that you can use workers or they'll just start filling up your board um, with points. And all of those are really important. And so you might really want to have first pick because you're really relying on getting that one that increases your security level by one for free because you're going to be short in security this round. But then the first person takes it. And you're like, ah, dang it, Nate. <laughs> why'd you have to do that yeah yeah i and then it also has these randomized objectives you're working on over the course of the game you can choose either a short game medium game or long game which i have not seen before i don't think in a game
1: i know it's definitely come up before at least once that i can think of but i can't yeah remember what game it was it was something we huh. played but i yeah, i can't remember that I'll get to the stuff I don't like later, but that's that's actually <laughs> one of them. But I'll, I'll get to that—that that you dislike when we, when we trash the game. Okay. That that I well, dislike. I'll, I'll tell you yes. what—I'll just pass it to you, man. What what do you want to say about Dinosaur Island? Well, I like I already said, I, I really like the the your player mat and what you're doing on there. Um, what I would really say about the game is that it's kind of it kind of feels like mechanism salad. You know what I mean? Like. Hmm to the point that there's not even a main board it's so the game is so broken down into different sections that every section just has its own board um there's no there's no main game board um so it's like okay we're doing phase one over here on this little board and then phase two on this board with the cards that come off it and then phase three is on your board and then phase four is on the other half of your board you know um Mm -hmm. but it's just there's worker placement and there's all technically dice drafting but that's kind of it's not really um and, and then card drafting, uh, and then worker placement again on your own board. And then I don't know what you would kind of not, not polyomino, but kind of a map building thing when you're placing dinos and, uh, locations on your map. Um, and then there's, there's, a not really push your luck, but there's bag polling, uh, like at least, or, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like there's a lot of different things going on. And I think for the most part, it does work pretty well. But the game for that reason is also very overwhelming the first time you play it, like mm-hmm. trying to wrap your head around the game and everything and how everything affects other things and what you should even be kind of trying to do is really, really. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's pretty difficult the first time you play it. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. What uh sticks out to you that you? Kind of when you think about dinosaur and you're like, you know what I really appreciate about it is, you know, whatever. Also, <laughs> the the look. You know, I I am I'm, I'm a huge fan of the look of the game too. It kind of has a retro vibe, kind of an '80s retro vibe to it. Very neon and very flashy, um, but not very necessarily neon. in a bad way.
0: Yeah, it's almost not really what you'd expect from a dinosaur themed game. You've just got all these crazy colors. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of pinks. A lot of yeah. neon blues, neon greens. Honestly, what you said about the, the different boards, how there's not really one common board, I actually don't mind that. I will say in general, for some reason, this game doesn't really come to mind for one that I immediately want to get out and play. Um, my wife likes it a lot more. So usually we'll play it more because uh, she likes to play it. And I, I still enjoy it. But what you said for the boards, I don't mind because I like how it actually kind of breaks up the sections of the game. It, pro- it probably would be cool if it was all condensed into one I-, I dislike how you have to set it up and make everything fit but what i appreciate is having three different central boards in the game kind of gives you a place to focus on according to what's going on in the game so start with phase one and you've got the the dice drafting for the dna you've got the dinosaurs um, you've got the cold storage limits you're working on you can just look at that board and that's what's going on and then there's like a clear cut and you move on to phase two and now you're uh, making your purchases for different buildings, different specialists to add to the game. And then phase three, it's like, okay, we did all the other stuff. Now I'm just going to look at my own board and go, go, go. And then we resolve at the end.
1: Why do you think that they did break it up instead of getting because you could have taken phase one and phase two of this game and made them into one big ish uh, central game board, right? Because then phase three and phase four are on your own personal board. So phase one and phase two could have been their own game board. Why do you think they broke it up and and didn't do that?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Could have just been a a component thing because the phase two board, I mean, there's a section to
1: the right of it where you have to have a bunch of tokens and cards laid out. True, but I mean, that would be on the side of the game board anyways, and you could still, you know, peter off your cards from that. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I, I don't really know why they chose to do it. Like I, I mean, I will say I, I appreciate it. I have a theory, what and I'm got? I'm going to segue into my dislikes of this game. um I would guess bec- it's because the game is such a freaking table hog. This game, <laughs> oh, my goodness, uh, oh, this really this game this might be the biggest table hog I can think of. Really, as far as I don't know, like I haven't played any huge space games or any of that kind of stuff, but this one's this one's up there for me um and again it doesn't have a big central board but it has so many like the player boards are are pretty sizable and mm-hmm. there's so many cards over here and cards over there and this bag here and big boards here and it's just
0: well and every man. player
1: has two boards not just one. Oh, that's right i was thinking it was one split into two sections but you're right everybody has two no two fairly large sized boards yeah it's crazy it's crazy yeah. so that's that's one thing i don't like and kind of um hand in hand with that is the setup and takedown is also atrocious in this game. Yeah. There's so much you have to do and it's just, and then storing it and, you know, just when you're taking it down and putting everything back together and just, Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's, that's probably a, man. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons I don't want to pull certain games off the shelf because I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Ah, it's just so much work to, to get it out. And then once you're done, to put it away, you know? So that's, that's another thing that kind of bugs me about it. Uh, and then the game length thing that you mentioned also is something that irks me a little bit. It's not a big thing. And in a way, I, I appreciate that you have some pretty easy control over the length of the game instead of like, oh, this game's too long. How can we try, try and make it shorter for our own you know, kind of house rules? I like that. It makes me so mad to have to make that decision at the beginning of the game. <laughs> like, okay, everybody, how long do the game want to be? Long? Yeah. Short? Medium? Every- oh, okay, everybody wants to do different things okay you know and that's never happened but it's, it's it's that like you already have to make a decision not in the game but actually about the game on a more uh, on a zoomed out level you know and it, i don't know sure. it's, it's almost it's almost hard to explain why that makes me angry but it does um the last thing also that bugs me about this game and it okay before i even get to this i just want to say i do like the game actually quite a bit i think i think what it does is interesting um I like the the different sections even if I was kind of, you know, harping on it a little bit. I like the different phases of the game and I like that you're doing card drafting and worker placement and this and that, you know. I actually like that and I think the game looks great and I do think it's a lot of fun. So I just want to say that before I continue on my little rant here. Why on why are we why are we using plastic meeples and plastic dino meeples? Uh, Come on. Oh, that is the cheapest th- they said the cheapest feeling things like in any game the cheapest feeling components I think I have felt in any game practically I hate I, I, I just hate this little plastic and they still like they, they just feel terrible they don't look very good and then maybe it's because they wanted them to be brighter than they would have been if it was just painted wood I don't know yeah maybe, maybe but it it looks bad it feels bad it feels cheap that's one of the things that that bugs me the most um great game though I like it yeah i mean so yeah i guess i'll just try to work through
0: your your stuff chronologically because basically i agree with all of it the the, all right (laughs) again i i i like the game it's a pretty great game the main reason i don't like trying to get it to the table is because it's so long to set up it takes up so much space uh it it is a beast and then yeah putting it away not not only are there so many things to put all in their own little individual bags and make sure you got sorted away, but then it, it's difficult. It's like a it's a West Kingdom game, man, that you're trying to smash into this box. It's still a big box, but it's a challenge to make sure you fit everything right to yeah. so the box or the lid closes enough.
1: I think um, no. I think uh, if you bought a custom insert for this, it would just be nothing. You just get a package of air that says so good luck, <laughs> and they'd still charge you twenty dollars for it. <laughs> uh
0: so yeah game board board hog even a two-player game this takes up most of the table uh it's it's kind of crazy i i don't know if i've played a four-player game did anna play with us no i don't think so no so the most i've played then is a three-player game you me and kirsten and that that was nightmare enough trying to fit everything on the table and yeah. not knock everything down
1: but we've done it a few times yeah. we should know i mean this is a game that we've like Sure, you know, like it's not like we see each other. We saw each other every day, and we could play games every day. Like this is a game that you know we played with each other once a week, and it still came out a few times when we played it. So yeah, it is a game that we both like quite a bit. Sure, and I'm I'm still willing to pull it out. It's just that's always a factor in there.
0: And then the yeah the different game length thing. It's a cool idea on paper, but it just doesn't really play out in the game itself. I think if you want a short, medium, or long game. Because for me, it's like I I just want to know what the game is meant to be played at. You yeah, know?
1: exactly. It's like they couldn't make up their minds. Even though I guess sure. there's maybe like a hey, this is a nice feature to customize your your game experience. Uh huh. It's one of those things where if you give people
0: too many choices on a given factor, they will be unsatisfied because of the choices. Like th- th- <laughs> this is a place where I just want to know what what is the game, and then I can sit down and commit to that. Because. I guess here's the thing: if I want if I want a short game of Dinosaur Island, I'm just not going to pull it out in the first place. (laughs) Yeah, know what I mean? It's like I'm not going to set up the whole thing just to play (laughs) a short game. (laughs) Oh, that's
1: so true! Wow.
0: So, to me, I don't know if I've ever played a short game. Maybe I have just to try the cards, but it's always been medium
1: or long. (sighs) Yeah, but then a long game, you're like long Ah, man this game's already been on the table for 20 minutes while we've set it up do we really want to play a long? let's just do a medium game. i think every time we've played this this it was a medium game that i played
0: (laughs) may okay here's a factor maybe you shuffle up all of the cards short medium long and you just make the game end once all three of those cards have been completed but
1: you just play whatever you could do whatever length of cards come out you could do one of each and then you would still technically Uh have a medium length game right Oh no, no 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 because it'd be it'd be less than average probably. But anyways, this is getting into the weeds th- this a little is, bit.
0: Here. <laughs> well wait, I my my final thing though is yes, I hate I despise the plastic components of this game. The the big DNA dice, those are fine. Even the the player board cubes are oh, fine yeah, cuz they're kind of rounded. They're fine. It's it's the plastic dinosaurs and the plastic meeples that are just atrocious. Like they're, they're sharp, you know? Yeah. Like it's it's almost like you can see where they've been cut or something or stamped out and they're just not very smooth so i looked this up to see if plastic components are maybe cheaper than wooden components and that's why they went with this and i actually found an article from jamie stegmar talking about how it's like the same cost to produce either one so i'm sitting here like why did they not make wooden (laughs) dinosaur meeples then
1: that's what i want that's honestly what the game needs. i don't have a good answer what i said earlier is possible that maybe they thought they could make the colors pop more other than that i just it's i don't know maybe it was just a, a publisher's maybe it wasn't the designer who wanted it maybe it was the publisher's decision for whatever reason i have no idea but it is there's almost there's practically nothing redeemable about that yeah so i'll tell you what though audience
0: individual viewer yeah you right there listening to this right now i'm talking to you frank and misty you guys need to go (laughs) (laughs) by tiny epic dinosaurs baby okay tell me about this it's it's a different experience of course uh the mechanics are fairly different but in the same way that tiny epic zombies feels to me like dead of winter trimmed down into a more streamlined small game uh, tiny epic dinosaurs is dinosaur island stream down to a just simpler dinosaur experience and nate get this get this i'm getting it. no get this drum drum roll give me a drum roll the dinosaur meeples are wooden hey hey and it's satisfying and it works and it's fine <laughs> and that's I all I, I have to say <laughs>
1: I feel like maybe the only reason you like tiny epic dinosaurs more is because that's wooden people, And I'm guessing the setup and takedown, this is just going out on a limb. I'm guessing it's probably also less. Uh yeah, it it is much smaller. Okay. Anything else? Any any remarks, uh leaving remarks you would like to give before we hmm. before we move on about Dinosaur Island? The,
0: the game is clever. It doesn't take itself seriously. And it has a good sense of humor. And so I appreciate that.
1: Mm, true. I The next time we play, I need to read some more of the flavor stuff uh, and pick, try and pick up on some more of the jokes and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, not, enough about that, though. What should we do now? What do you want to do now, Nate? Should we just hang up the call? <laughs> <laughs> Have it's we accomplished nice, what we came here to do?
1: A nice 30-minute episode? Sure. About, yeah. 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 Uh, or... What, yeah, go what? ahead. No, go ahead. Or okay. what, Cody? We we could
0: talk about that little tagline I gave at the beginning of this episode. Maybe you, Frank and Misty, figured out what oh, wait, I was wait. talking about. What?
1: Oh, maybe it's not a great one. I was going to say, based on your description, could you think of another designer that fits that description? And uh, I'm sure there are there actually would... probably quite a few, but uh, I don't think I could name any of them. Other than, I guess, I suppose, Um, oh shoot, what's his name? Uh, Isaac Childers. Who made Gloomhaven. Isaac Childers? I think that's right.
0: Yeah. But then Frosthaven was a Kickstarter, so he didn't step down from crowdfunding.
1: Oh, true. Okay. Well, so pretend ha. this episode came out years ago. Dara? Okay. Sure.
0: Sure, man. <laughs> Before anyone knew. Yeah. No, we're talking about Jamie Stegmeier, nerds. Welcome. Welcome to the Jamie Stegmeier podcast <laughs> section.
1: <laughs> Let's just rename this to the Jamie Stegmeier podcast, but we won't even really mention him anymore. It's just, we'll just we, uh, call it
0: that. We probably would get more more viewers. Maybe Wait. what we could do is just kind of change the spelling of the name so it's not like a copyright issue. Oh, okay. Copyright issue? What do you mean? It's a name. Well, I don't know, that, that we're not like trying to steal his likeness or something. Hmm. I, I okay, don't know. But- <laughs> Hopefully we'll have him on the show soon. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a designer spotlight episode, and we're going to be talking about Jamie Stegmeier, as is Jamie. tradition- For the long tradition of one other designer spotlight episodes we've done, yes, I will cover the bio that I could uncover for this designer, and Nate will cover the majority of the games, and then we'll just talk about it. Yes, just want to feature this designer that we both appreciate. Am I right?
1: Yes, you are definitely right. We could definitely start out kind of by saying that this is Scythe was kind of our the thing that really pushed us off the deep end into. The board game world um yeah. and it is a game that is, we'll always have a, a special place in our hearts and a game that we still both like very very much so uh i would yeah. say i mean it's it's my number one game on my top
0: 100 and it's your number two or number three
1: yeah uh number three i think it's yeah number three okay all right so, that's still pretty good what do you think uh, there's no way it would ever drop off my 100 ever 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 no way <laughs> Okay. What, what were you going to ask? <laughs> it sounded like a really uh, stupid question now, but okay. I was what was I going to ask? I don't I don't know. Yeah. Uh, probably probably nothing worth asking. How about instead I inform you and the audience on some Stonemeyer and and Stegmaier games. Um some, some Stonemeyer games games. So as already mentioned, Scythe would probably be the biggest definitely sh- surely be the biggest hit. Um, of all of his games, uh, Viticulture also, though, is obviously a very notable one that a lot of people would be familiar with. Um, it came out in two thousand eleven, I think, but then was kind of remastered with a second uh, essential edition, um, and then Tapestry also, I think, is one that made some waves when it came out. Um, so those are kind of, I would say, those are his big three, at least based on the board game geek ratings. They are definitively hmm. his his big three um but he is of course also part of uh one of the co-founders of Stonemeyer games uh so jamie stegmaier and alan stone uh founded Stonemeyer games which i'm sure you probably mentioned as well um but then you can include wingspan and uh, between two cities or between two castles of mad king ludwig um yeah. and even actually the the newest um Second edition of Libertalia that Stone just did, or some other notable ones by Stone Games. While none of those are actually designed by Jamie Stegmeyer. they are games that he still obviously was involved in to a certain extent. Um, sure, yeah. So, wing, did you say wingspan? I did say wingspan. Yes. Okay. Um, that's yeah. Elizabeth Hargrave, I think. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The designer. Um, but also I, I wanted to so side viticulture and tapestry are the are the big ones for sure. Um. I think one thing that's very one thing I appreciate about his designs, talking about just those three specifically, is that I feel like they are all very unique designs. Um the scythe thing with the player boards is just when I first saw that, and granted I I hadn't uh, you know, had a lot of exposure to games, but that those player boards and scythe are just Oh yeah. Those are a, a feat in and of themselves. Those things They're are double amazing, layered, dude. double printed. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, okay, yes, the the production quality also and that's another thing we could talk about with with Stonemire Games especially, the production quality is always of the the highest um quality. Uh but I was going to say <laughs> I was going to say that the actual mats themselves are great. They're so well designed. Uh like the the strategy in the action selection and modifying your own personal board and on all the things you can do with them are like it's a unique yeah, design. It's it's very good. Um, also this idea of creating kind of what feels like a war game when you get into it, but you realize it's, it's a trap. It's not actually a war game. It's an economic (laughs) game. And maybe there will be a battle or two,
0: um, conflict,
1: but then also the viticulture has its own charm too. You know, um, it's there. I, I, I should have maybe researched a little bit before I make this bold statement, but I feel like it was, it was, or probably was one of the first games about making wine. I know there are others. <laughs> it's, I mean, seriously, I, who would sure think, yeah. who would think that that would be a good idea for a board game design? But, but yeah, wow. And that was, that was back in 2011 too. Now you can kind of yeah. get away with like, if the game looks good and has a solid design, you can kind of get away with any theme really. People will still buy it. But I don't know. I feel like, I feel like a wine theme, you know, over 10 years ago is, is was a little, maybe a little daring, but I, I could be wrong on that. Um, and then tapestry is just also another game that's I don't, just a bunch of tracks that you're moving up on, basically. But yeah, man, I tapestry call it a is a pseudo, weird one. a pseudo Civ game. It's I would not call it a Civilization game at all. I don't think it's just moving up tracks. The game is what it is. Um, hey, you want to know what's funny?
0: Huh? I I would listen to a podcast. Um, ben Maddox hashtag Five Games for Doomsday. This is part of where I did my research for Jamie's background okay. and stuff. Um, he designed tapestry intentionally as a civilization game. That's like, that's what he wanted to make.
1: <laughs> that I guess, I guess the question is what do you, what, uh, what defines a civilization game, right? If it's just the theme, then yes, right? Uh, you can't argue that it's not, if you're just going off of the theme, but all the game is, is moving up tracks, right? Maybe drafting a little bit of cards and then maybe placing some towers out on a board and some land tiles out on a board if you want to, if you don't want to, you mm. don't have to, right. Yeah. Um, it's not like it's a, it has to be a core thing of your strategy. So sure. Uh, it's just, it's, to me, it's so abstracted and I love the game. Absolutely love the game. I've played this game a lot of times. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's the game looks great, feels great, but I don't think the theme necessarily integrates too well.
0: Yeah. I don't really think so either. You could basically stamp and just reskin this game with some other idea, and it would still function just fine.
1: And I would still the, like it.
0: Sure. And well, the whole idea of it being a tapestry is because you're playing down these tapestry cards throughout the game um, until you finish your little tapestry. I think you have to play four? Was it yeah. three? You play four, I think. Four of them? Okay. And each of them represents sort of... Uh, a technological focus or a political focus or a philosophical focus that your, I guess, pseudo country undertakes for that era. And then at the end of it, you have like this story of what your country did. And it doesn't really track because you can start with like a modern democracy. And then
1: I I don't even remember any of the other cards. (laughs) (laughs) But then (laughs) there's a bunch of... Yeah, you might, you can jump all over the place, right? You might be very advanced yeah. in the first and then very... But uh-huh. the thing is, those cards have... I don't want to say they have very little impact on the game because they don't. The, the tapestry cards can be really powerful. Sure. But they don't define the game. The game is moving up tracks. Exactly. Right? The yes. tapestry cards are a very side thing that look cool and you might get some cool bonuses out of them, but they're not the core of the game by any means. So... Yeah, yeah, I agree. But this you. is not the tapestry episode. <laughs> uh, this is not. Real quickly... I also want to mention some upcoming games, uh, for Stonemeyer and, uh, both, both Stonemeyer and, um, uh, recent and upcoming. So a couple of recent ones actually from cool. 2021 and 2022 are Rolling Realms and Smitten. Um, huh. Rolling Realms is a game that, uh, Stegmaier designed during COVID, uh, which is a really, really light roll and write game, um, or flip and write, maybe? No, I think it's roll and write. Oh, hmm. it's called Rolling Realms. What am I saying? Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Rolling Realms. What kind of game should this be? Let's make it a flipping write. <laughs> uh, but it's a it's a it's a very simple roll and write uh, where you have kind of just like three different cards that you're kind of f- filling out. Um, and you can kind of have a, a bunch of different combinations of three different cards in front of you. And actually what's cool about the game is that it's it's almost like a, a living card game in a way because you keep, they keep releasing promo packs or whatever for it for games. So every card you have yeah. is like named after a game kind of. So there might be one Tapestry card and one Terra Mystica card and one Ark Nova card. Um, and you're doing this little, like, little mini game kind of on it as, as part of your roll and write. Um, So kind of an interesting, unique idea. (laughs) I've never heard of this. Yeah, you should check it out. Um, And then Smitten is a very, very light, cooperative kind of, I guess, panorama game is what it's called. Um, I don't know too much about it. For me, light cooperative game is something that I turn tail and run the other way. I'm kind of not (laughs) interested. I already don't like cooperative games very much. And then if they're, Light cooperative games. I'm really kind of like not interested. Um, but it's, it's more about the, what the game looks like. You know, I think it's a very pretty game and you're laying cards out and kind of creating a picture. Um, so there's that. And then Hmm. I would also like to note that the tapestry expansion number three is coming in the first quarter or the first half of 2023, as well as an insert for the box that will accommodate all three of the expansions, which for those of you who have the original tapestry game, you know that it's kind of a, a tight fit already. Um, yeah. But there will be a custom insert as well as a third expansion for Tapestry and most likely the last expansion for Tapestry, Jamie Stegmaier mm. said, um, coming at some point in the next five or six months. So those are both things I'm very much looking forward to. On
0: on the subject of expansions, I was just thinking about this the other day. Let's just say Rise of Fenris, possibly one of the greatest game expansions that has ever come out
1: hmm. Rise of that Phoenix. i've played i
0: guess i haven't played that many expansions but what got me on this track is when i was actually adding rates like out of 10 to all the games i played on board game geek and i was coming to expansions and i was trying to figure out how i wanted to approach ranking an expansion first i was just going to give it whatever the score was for the game it's attached to but then no, i was like no nah, i'll rate no, it no, no. based on like how it contributes yeah. to the game And I guess it just got me thinking, like, look at Everdell. You have Belfair and Spirecrest and Pearlbrook. And they all add, they add some stuff to the game. It's kind of interesting. But Rise of Fenris, like, adds, it adds this whole story to the game. It adds this whole layer of, of a campaign that you can play through. It also adds two very unique playable factions that kind of defy the standard Very much. rules that the rest of the factions have played as. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a, such an interesting conglomeration of stuff that it adds to the game, where it makes the game so much more when you're playing the Rise of Fenris. That's that just kind of my little thought. What do you think?
1: I would agree. I I feel like when you first met, when you first said it, I was kind of not necessarily in agreement, but yeah, the two factions that it adds in are really very very cool and they are very rule breaker type factions uh which makes them awesome um mm-hmm. and then if you want a campaign experience out of scythe you get a very kind of cool this world that's already been created that's so cool you get a, a story an actual story to go with it um not yeah. just the the text and the rule book of scythe but an actual kind of story to go with it um and so that that's pretty cool too yeah sure
0: well, I feel like we kind of flipped this around, but I guess I'll I'll talk about Jamie Stegmar's origin story now. Go for it. It's but between Shem Phillips and Jamie Stegmar now, it's actually a bit harder to find information on designers than I thought it was going to be. I think mm. we're used to like Hollywood actors or musicians, where they have this massive Wikipedia page that tells you everything about their their background, where they grew up. Um, I think game designers are just kind of celebrities within our own little realm where we yeah. think they're amazing, but it's hard to find too much information without searching through a whole bunch of podcast interviews that may exist or may not exist. But all that to say, Jamie Stegmeyer operates out of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, that, that's where Stonemaier Games is, but he grew up in Virginia. So he's, he's an Eastern man. <laughs> Eastern, As I say man. that, I realize that doesn't make any sense. He's from <laughs> the eastern United States. Yeah, although in college he studied abroad for a year in Kyoto. Kyoto. So that's interesting. Wow. Okay. Um, I because of that, I'm surprised that we haven't had some sort of Japanese themed game. I was so just going to
1: say that too. Yeah, but you know, I, we, you know what? We, I I would say that <laughs> I would not be surprised if we do at some point, point. and they, he would Dude, do a very good go. job. I'm sure.
0: Here, here's what we got. It's a sake. Game you have wine making now you have sake making,
1: see, I feel like it's less inventive now, especially by <laughs> the <this> same designer <laughs> sure
0: <laughs> okay, fine it'll it'll be something. It'll be a rice patties field thing. I know there's more to to Japanese history than that, but that's I guess the first thing that comes to mind, <laughs> yeah, not samurai or yeah, no, oh, a samurai game, that'd be great, well, anyway, Nate, he grew up playing classic games, of course. Um, But how he sort of started getting into design was he would make his own versions of classic games that already existed. So he described making a Knights of the Round Table version of Monopoly, which sounds intriguing. I doubt it exists anywhere because I think he was like (laughs) eight or nine or something when he made it, probably. It would be interesting
1: to look at, maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I like hearing that, though. It seems like so far when we've learned about designers and how they got into the the game hobby they they start making their own games you know it was it was different hearing about someone who was making different versions of games not mm. not just add-ons to the games but like a, a separate version of the game that you can play so I thought that was interesting
1: yeah yeah but definitely
0: eventually that, that culminated in in games he started making himself and the first published game of course was viticulture in 2011 um, which I believe was a smash hit. At that time, although looking back to the original Viticulture is probably a little bit less glamorous, um, you really want to get that Essential Edition so you can get the Grande Worker, <laughs> and then pair it with old the Tuscany Essential Edition, and you've got a masterful game. For sure. Yeah. And here's something I thought was interesting. I guess through working over Kickstarter and crowd- crowdfunding stuff, apparently it was Jamie Stegmeier who basically forged this concept for game fulfillment being the method of which instead of shipping games directly to all these people and paying exorbitant shipping costs because shipping is just miserable, especially nowadays, um, he came up with the idea of sending games to local distribution centers Hmm. at a more, I guess, flat rate or cheaper fee and then having those distribution centers send out the games to people nearby so that it was a much cheaper shipping price um, for all the Kickstarter supporters.
1: Interesting. I don't know much about Kickstarter, and I, but I did not even know that that was a, a possibility, actually.
0: Yeah. I didn't know much either, um, but th- from the way Jamie was describing it, sounds like this basically was, he was the first one to really get this going, and now that's just a standard in the hmm. Kickstarter industry. So I thought that was pretty cool.
1: That is pretty cool, yeah. Y-
0: yeah. But all that culminated in Scythe 2016, or rather, I think the Kickstarter was 2015, um, arguably one of the most successful Kickstarters um, that has existed. Granted, there's been uh, bigger Kickstarters since then. I mean, Frosthaven was almost $13 million, I think. And Scythe Jeez. was 1.8, though, which was crazy at the time. And despite that being such a mega successful Kickstarter, um, it was over that process that Jamie finally decided to just leave um, Kickstarter and decided to just start producing in publishing his own games and that's how the publishing company came about i guess he got like really emotionally burned out from it he was describing in one podcast just how people are just kind of whack i guess which makes a lot of sense but he was saying that they were doing really good with scythe um they made sure to under promise um and then over deliver and so they were getting games out much earlier than the I guess the the deadline or whatever they promised the game to backers. So for example, they had someone that they were shipping games out like six weeks early, but the customers were upset that they weren't getting the game seven weeks early. What? It's like, I guess this is just the community. This is what humanity has come to. And so even though the game did so well, even so, I guess he was still just dealing with all this um, customer support service nonsense and, People just being upset or complaining or constantly asking about when the game's gonna come out. And so he was just done with that. And now we have Stonemeyer Games, the publishing company. Hmm. So
1: Stone, okay, interesting. So Stonemeyer. Hmm. But so stonemeyer Games did not exist before that at all then? Um Cause I mean, like Viticulture is still a Stonemeyer game, though. Yeah, but is that like a new New reprint? Yeah, I don't printed know. Printed version? I'm not sure. It may have
0: existed, but it may have just switched to the publishing model instead of the Kickstarter model. Okay, after okay. side So yeah. But yeah, that's my cool story. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, um uh Gabe Barrett personally told me that Jamie is really good at being on other people's podcasts. Um, and I've actually heard on some other podcast Jamie talk about this. How he he like doesn't really care. He's happy to engage with small channels and small audiences, and he just likes doing that. So for sure, we will reach out and have him on the show at some point.
1: But we'll we probably will reach wait, out and hopefully he will be generous enough to <laughs> donate some of his time, and hopefully we will have him on the show. Uh, uh, oh yes, ah oh
0: yes. But we'll probably wait to reach out until you are back in the states, and we're not trying to coordinate like three different schedules and time three zones. Three different time
1: zones would be quite yeah. a pain for sure. It'd be yeah.
0: quite weird. But yeah, we hope to have him on the show soon. He would grace us with his presence and he can tell us all about stuff. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, Nate, anything else you want to add to, to Frank and Misty?
1: Well, I just think that now I'm really looking forward to hearing... Jamie Stegmaier, just talk about stuff. You know, if we have him on the the podcast, that'll be the first question I ask him. Hey, you know, Jamie, tell us tell us about some stuff. And then I won't ask anything else. I'll just you know just silence. So that's neither of us
0: will. We'll just sit there the whole time and we'll just let Jamie talk about whatever he wants to talk about. He would
1: hang up in the first five minutes. I'd be like, well, no more no more small podcast interviews for me. These guys ruined it for everybody. We'll yeah. be the ones. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so at TabletopShop23 at gmail.com. You can also find us uh, on Instagram as TabletopShop23 and Facebook as podcast.
0: Yeah, and good folks, if you want to help us out, we really need your help if you're listening on Spotify give give us a little rating um i try, i always try to add questions or polls in each of these episodes if you want to engage there and just show us your support if you're on YouTube if you want to like hit subscribe hit like comment about how great our hair is even though you can't see us that that'd be great we just we appreciate your appreciation of stuff
1: and we we appreciate any contact we like conversing with people and you know getting feedback on stuff so yeah,
0: yeah. oh yeah we have an email tabletopshop 23 at gmail.com send us stuff Correct. we'll respond yeah and remember Stonemeyer makes good games and you should buy them and jamie Stegmeyer should pay us for saying this thanks for tuning in folks this has been the tabletop shop podcast we release our primary episodes every other wednesday with something a little different on the opposite wednesdays Who knows what will happen? We'll see. Find out next Wednesday. And thanks for stopping by the shop.